many things that's held us down But now it looks like things are finally coming around I know we've got a long, long way to go Welcome to my podcast, From Trauma to Triumph, Walking Away from Trauma. It is aired every Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. I'm your host, Lana M. Hooks, your author, speaker, blogger, vlogger, guide, and aromatherapist who just happens to have a B.A. in Black Studies from Martin University and an M.A. in African-American Studies with a concentration in history from Clark Atlanta University. My website is Lana M. Hooks, that's L-A-N-A. M-H-O-O-K-S dot com, affectionately called I Allow Peace, Forgiveness, and Love. I created the blog I Allow to help people identify unresolved womb and childhood emotional traumas and how they are surfacing in the present through pent-up desires. Together, we build a trusted bond that allows for a self-discovery using forgiveness, peace, love, and other natural methods. I do this because I desire for people's fragmented souls to be restored and to live authentically in their innately created identity. I'm located on Twitter. I'm LM Hooks. And on Instagram, I'm LM Hooks 51. And lastly, on Facebook, I'm LM, L, I'm sorry, I Lana.M.Hooks on Facebook. And I have an email, author LMHooks at gmail.com. Welcome again to from, tra- from Trauma to Triumph, Walking Away from Trauma. I created this podcast because there are those who are stuck in the middle of their journey and walking from traumatic experiences. And sometimes we just need to hear another person's story that is on the other side called living victoriously in their authentic identity and purpose. I believe that stories are a raft to catch from someone else that can bring you through to living victoriously in your authentic identity. So on Thursday evenings, tune in to hear stories and also to have therapists, counselors, and natural healers to give you their wisdom in answering your questions that can assist you as you walk away from trauma. You can post your questions at anchor.fm forward slash Lana 337. Tonight, everyone, I have a special guest on my, pa- my, on my podcast, Dr. Samara Alexander. She was born and raised in my hometown as well, Gary, Indiana. She was told she lacked creativity after receiving a D in art, but the yearning to express herself never went away. She turned to words, finding a creative spark to write novellas. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and explores mental health issues within the context of creative fiction. Follow Samara on YouTube and Instagram using her handle at Samara and that's S-A-M-Y-R-A, or email tellsamara123 at gmail.com, and that's T-E-L-L-S-A-M-Y-R-A-1-2-3 at gmail.com, excuse me, at gmail.com. I present to some and introduce to others, Dr. Samara Alexander. Welcome, Dr. Alexander. How are you this evening? I'm great, Lana. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. How's uh, your day? My, <laughs> my day is good. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I saw you on Facebook. I saw your books on Facebook and the books that you or the novellas that you've written called I Should Have Been, I Should Have Worn a Curtain, Volume One and Two. It interested me because one was the pictures. That's what caught my attention. Okay. And, and so the one, the very first one with the young lady with her back turned and then she has a donut in her hand. And I was sitting here and I was like, oh my God. I was like, what is this really about? And so as I began to read more, I was like, wow. And it's funny because I didn't really know about emotional eating disorders until really I went to college. And when I went to college, there was a young lady on my floor. Um, Little did I know, like I said, that wasn't my world. I didn't have a clue about this. So we would hear her at late at night and she would be, you know, making herself throw up. And then I would see her in the lunchroom and she would, you know, have plates of food. Um, and so actually it was another young lady on my floor who 
knew what was going on because someone in her high school had the same eating disorder. And so for me, it was like th that opened up a whole brand new world because I never, I never heard that. That wasn't in my culture. That wasn't in my circle. I didn't know. And so when I saw your books, I was like, wow. And so I wanted to, you know, really reach out to you and, and to have you on the show to really talk about it um, and to really understand what, from a clinical perspective, you know, emotional eating disorders, do you find it more in one, cult one culture versus another culture? You, you know what? Actually, uh, my clients that I, that I work with, I haven't had anyone that it has admitted to an eating disorder. And the reason I say admit it, because you can ask people questions about their diet, like, are you satisfied with your diet? You know, trying to assess if they have an eating disorder. But I know it's something that people keep a secret. So it may take a, a bit for them to open up to even reveal that. But as far as working with them, no. My, my um, knowledge of eating disorders comes from more of my own personal experience with um, bulimia. So that's how I know about it. Okay. Can you share, if you don't mind, if you, do you mind sharing a little bit more? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I can go ahead and share that. Uh, I've always, um, well, I, I can say probably from six on up, been more of an emotional eater, just eating um, because I like the taste of it, poor self-control, you know, and we ate out a lot growing up. I'm not complaining about that. I love that at the time, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> Just and just uh, eating, eating a, a ton of food. Like I could eat like seven pieces of Little Caesars pizza growing up as a teenager, you know, and mm -hmm. I thought that was OK, you know. Uh, but of course, my clothes started getting too tight, hard time zipping up the pants and jeans. And, and that even grew with me into college. I developed an eating disorder. It, it was in my 30s. That's what um, when I actually wrote the book. And I don't think it, uh, when looking back, I don't think it was more emotional. I think it was more just addiction to sugar for me because it had gotten to, a, and also I had started dieting excessively and started overly denying myself. Like I, even I wouldn't have any sweets. Like I could go to a birthday party maybe once a year. I'd be like, nope, I wouldn't have it. And I think it was that over self-control. I had a problem finding balance. Mm -hmm. So I kept denying myself and to the point that I started getting the sugar and it tasted so good. It was like I had to have it like I imagine a drug addict. And it was like, oh, my God, I've been denying myself. So I would binge. And then the mental part came in. I would tell myself, OK, you're not going to binge anymore. So just go all out today because it's going to be your last day ever mm -hmm. doing this. You're never going to have sweets again. Then I would do it again, maybe a week later. Then it ha started happening more and more. And so just like my character, even though it is fiction, what, what was my reality, the same as my character, Shana, in the two novellas, is that I was telling myself, well, I'm not sick because I don't purge because that would make me sick because that breaks, um, wrecks havoc on the body. You know, that was my thought. And it made total sense when I was in that pathology. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sick. But then I would start telling people like, you know, I think this is a problem. Eventually it was like, yeah, I think it is. But then people would be like, oh, no, you just need self-control. You just need to pray. You know, it's nothing. But how I broke that was when I stopped the yo-yo diet and I read some book and I can't remember the name of it at the time. And it was saying like, you have to stop the dieting in order to break that binging. And once I stopped the dieting, it did. And it will creep back on me if I allow it. This is the mental portion. Where if I start telling myself, well, I'm just going to have like five cupcakes today and I'm not going to do it again. That, that's the part right there. So I train myself to know I'm a liar when it comes to that, you know. Mm. So I already know and I stop myself. So Myra, you're lying. That's how I talk to myself. You're lying. You, you know you're lying. Stop. If you start binging, it's going to be like a two or three day thing. And then you're going to feel guilty and all that horribleness. And so once I stopped lying on myself, then it's like I was able to break that. I'm still overweight now, but I don't I'm not binging because I know what the cycle is. And I admitted that I'm a liar in my. Uh, so right. that's what prompted the book, because I was like, I always wanted to write a book. 
And I used to always pray and be like, oh, God, help me write a book. I want to write a book. I want to write a book. I was like begging. And one day the inspiration <laughs> came. I was like, I know, I know what it feels like to have anxiety and to be. And so I was like, let me write this story about this woman. She's also plus size, bigger than me, though. Uh, she's in denial about the eating disorder, which is typically the case. And I was going to see where can I take this and, and make it create some things that's not like me and create a story. So I, I think I answered, I took a long time to answer that, but that's how it started. No, no, I thank you for that. You you said you said some crucial things because I, I, you know, reading your book, I could identify with Shana a lot. And so growing up, I was an emotional, I was an emotional eater, but the way I ate, was was totally different and I know it's kind of funny because well let me just let me I'm, I'm gonna jump ship just for a second uh going back to when you said um I was a liar and and you and you called yourself out on that um I was when I was reading that the, the part where you did say that I'm not binging because what you said throwing up wreak havoc, wreaks havoc on your body right but, yeah, that I, I must admit, I, I had to stop for a minute, and I was like, "She's trying to justify it," and I was like, "Hold on, you know." And I, but then I, I thought about it. It's like we all try to justify it in some way, you know. It's it's not. It's like six and half, six and one, uh, one hand half dozen on the other. And I was sitting there, and I was like, "Okay, I get what she's saying, and I know why she said that." It's like you don't want to admit it to yourself. You don't want to admit it's not that bad. But sometimes it can be just that bad. Um, but looking at Shayna and, and looking at the emotional part of her life, looking at the trauma, like, I mean, here it was. And I don't want to give away the whole story because I really want people to really purchase it and to, really, and, and, to, and, and, and to let you know that the books are not long. That's why they're novellas. They're really not long to read, but it's very power packed. So please pick up people uh and I, I should have worn a curtain by Samara Alexander uh if you know somebody who has um an eating disorder or either you know suffers from emotional eating disorders or either you are please pick up her books her books are very short but they're like I said they're power packed with with different um words of wisdom and it's a story it really is a story that you can you can input your name in if this is if this is a part of your life and so I encourage you to do that and she also has other things waiting for you at the end of her second book that I think that would really 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 help everybody we all need encouragement we all need encouragement with something or one thing or another but I encourage everyone to really please pick up her books they're on Amazon right now um and just and like I said share them with you with people who are in your circles um, but back to the to the questions, it's like I'm I'm sitting here and I'm looking at Shana, and looking at how right before her thirteenth birthday, her mom leaves, and it was like in my head I was going, oh my God, this is a young girl. It's like she's getting ready to step into her teenage years. This is the most um, crucial time for a child to you know to be really stepping into her own discovering her identity and you know becoming more and more of who she is and then all of a sudden the mother leaves and then what happens is that the father is 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 left you know hanging like even though him and the mother had been having arguments and things like that nothing was really told to Shana nothing was told to her nothing was said to her you know and even when she tried to you know come out and 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 say how she felt they shut her down so again it's like looking at so so for her to get bigger and bigger i looked at it was she eating her emotions just was that her food and so she had you know what i'm saying i mean am i am i am I on the right track yeah, you are on you are on the right track. So yeah, that's what it is. So that was something the traumatic uh for her. Like you said, those are the years when you really need a parent. And this I think believe the same sex parent would be the, the best situation, you know, to help you navigate uh who you who you are, like for Shana, who who you're becoming as a woman. And she didn't have that, at least not from her mom, as you know her. She had an aunt Pat who stepped in. 
But yeah, like the father, it wasn't addressed. And I didn't come out and say the father's diagnosis, but I was uh, showing that his symptoms, that he was depressed, even mm -hmm. though I didn't just say it. Because mm -hmm. I just like to, to try to write and just give a lot of the symptoms sometimes without saying what the diagnosis is. Mm -hmm. So people can read that and, and, and um, you know, put it together themselves by looking at the behaviors. So yeah, he was dealing with his own uh, situation of losing his wife, of leaving and being having to raise his daughter on his own and dealing with that and still having to work. And it was a two family in income and he lost that. So it was a lot he was dealing with. And he's also older and I was trying, and I don't know um, if that came across, but he's older, that generation where like kids maybe should be seen and not heard as much and mm -hmm. they don't not really addressing you know the issues it's like well you got your aunt here I know your mom's not here that would be the optimal situation but you know I'm depressed I'm dealing with my thing I'm doing my best I'm still putting food on the table so it is what it is sort of thing you're right I mean I, and it did come across I, I saw that because and, and all another thing that I was looking at because I wanted to see what I know you mentioned that you mentioned his um his size you said he was a, a meaty man I think that's what you said mm -hmm. and so and so I was saying to myself I said so he's he has he he has a weight issue I guess I, I guess the way I looked at it that he had a weight issue um and and correct me if I'm wrong please because I I, I wanted to to look at to see if there was any direct relation because he never ever talked about her weight he always tried to take up for her to you know to make her feel better but he did it in such a way to where it it didn't still allow her voice to be heard. It was just, you know, it was, and like you said, it was one of those things to where he was dealing with, you know, his own depression for his, you know, his wife leaving and things of that nature. And, and then with the aunt stepping in, it, it was so funny because it's like when she stepped in, when she first stepped in, she was very, um, I, I would say encouraging or helpful. But then as, as, as the years went on, then all of a sudden, you know, she became, verbally abusive and I was like "Ooh, wait a minute you know and so Shana was trying to maneuver through that as well so and also can you and like I said can you can you go over the maybe the the different roles that she was playing because Shana played she 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 went from teenager to an adult overnight right so can, can you can you expound on that a little bit how that went into her um into her eating disorder uh, the many roles that she played. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I think uh, Shayna was accustomed to putting herself last. So as her role as a as a daughter, you know, she took over for taking care of her father. You know, she put him first. She was mending his clothes, washing, washing his clothes. You know, he went to work. He paid all the bills, but she was doing everything else. So she picked up the slack where her mom did. So, you know, she was, she put her friends on the back burner and she just really was about pleasing him. That became her, her role. And so for her, she was dealing with her own issue of losing her mom. She didn't really have a way to express it. She couldn't with her aunt, she couldn't with her father. So she began eating because that was a comfort, you know, food mm -hmm. won't you know, the food will be there, the cupcakes and the um, donuts were, were tasting good, made her feel better about her situation, you know, that she was, that she was going through. Her role as a, um, let's see, as her niece to her aunt, you know, her aunt came in and stepped in, but Shana was still doing a lot of the work. Her aunt was there and they were close for a time, but that eventually severed so again she didn't have anybody she can confide in because it also if you remember from the book when she would try to vent out some of that anger about her mom leaving to her aunt even though her aunt would say nasty things about her mom for leaving but she wouldn't allow Shana so she didn't she never had an outlet to express herself you know mm -hmm, you're so right she did well <laughs> everybody needs a way to cope and it's not always healthy ways people choose like um, for her, it was uh, it was food, and right. for other people, it may be drugs, it may be alcohol, it may be sex. You know, some people may start over exercising or just going overboard in in things that could could possibly be healthy because they just need that outlet 
mm-hmm. for those emotions and they haven't found a positive way to do it, which is why I think um, for her, even if a person doesn't suffer from mental illness, anybody, you know, who've experienced trauma or have suffered from any type of addiction, whether it be sex, substance abuse or whatever, porn, whatever, I think can relate to um, Shana because I think it's some similarities in all forms of addictions. You're right. You're right. I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. How do you how do you help someone that um, that their voice has been muted when they've gone through, you know, traumatic experiences and, and, and they they don't they didn't get a chance to talk. They didn't get a chance to say. So how would you how would you uh, from a clinical ex- perspective, how would you help uh, an authentic voice rise from the shadows and feel safe to tell their story? I would have someone come in to therapy, you know, and I will first assess, are they able to tell the story? Because sometimes I think people are pushing to say, oh, just write it out. Tell me what's going on. But then I like to see people face to face because you also get to read body language. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, um, I had someone I was working with and we were trying to write her trauma narrative to say what happened to her when she was raped. But I noticed we couldn't touch that because the body wasn't ready. What I mean by that extreme shaking, you know, crying, you know, difficulty breathing. Mm-hmm. And so um, one book that I love is I believe it's The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Berg, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how trauma um, not only um, changes the way we think, but it changes the body, how it dysregulates the nervous system, how we um, eating, drink, you know, drinking taste touch mm. senses, all your senses and so a person's um, nervous system has to be calm so first I would say if the, if if they they're typically anxious or even sad because a person can even go between being anxious sad anxious sad after being traumatized that doing yoga can also be helpful uh, any form of exercise and eating healthier um, is is helpful. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. hypnosis works for people because the body has to be calm first. And then once that's done, then um, and that can be anything that gets the heart pumping, you know, um, hit exercises, hardcore exercises, uh, prayer, meditation, fasting, if that if they're, um, you know, more spiritual or religious. And then also once that's done, then dealing with the, the mind as far as maybe having people write out their story if they're comfortable with that or telling their ther- the, the story to their therapist. And mm-hmm. then having them practice um, assertive techniques where they have the ability to stand up for themselves, to ask for what they want, to say what's acceptable, what, what's not acceptable, and letting them know that that may be hard, you know, because it's not easy for a person whose voice has been muted. But, you know, with practice facing the things that we fear, that can become um, easier to do. But again, making sure that their body is regulated because if they're about to have an anxiety attack when they, when it's time for them to tell their story or to speak up for what they like and dislike, then teaching them breathing exercises, grounding and meditation so they can be present in a moment to deal with those things that they fear. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for those those, uh, those tips and, and strategies and things from a clinical perspective. I really appreciate that. And yeah. I hope my listeners are really understanding and listening that, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone on this journey. Uh, that's why uh, the podcast was created so I can bring people on that can help you to find um, safe ground, safe space so that you can go into someone like a Dr. Samara and to really you know, sit down with somebody who cares and somebody who understands because they've been through it themselves. So, so please, um, I, I really, I mean, again, I appreciate everything that you're saying. Um, I know that this story is a fictional story and the themes are surrounding though are, are real from eating disorders to family dysfunctions and personality conflicts and things of that nature. Uh, do you find that in the people that you're servicing, do you find that it didn't start with them that basically it's been happening in their family, whatever the trauma may be, was it's been happening long before it got to them. They're just, you know, inherited the trauma. Do you find that in um, with the people that you work with or, or, or just, you know, read about in research and things of that nature? That's what I find because for the last few years, I've been working with uh, victims of domestic violence. 
Mm-hmm. And what I see is I have them do this thing where they go back um, over their lives and, and talk about the different stages of their life. Let's say, for instance, 5 through 10, 11 through 15, 16, up, you know, break it down in phases. And look, um, I got this idea from Jordan Peterson, um, I believe I'm a famous Canadian psychologist. And so um, I have them do that. And, and it gives a, a look at what was happening in their lives. Like, and then uh, some people will start to reveal different trauma that they've gone through. And a lot of it started with families, you know, with their families. And I've had a few people who would tell me, oh, no, everything was good with my family. This um, abuser I was with, he um, destroyed my life. I had healthy self-esteem. But as I started to poke more, I started to see that that's not the truth. Mm. Anybody who's told me that the that that they that it was hard, and I'm and I know that it can be hard to leave because of financial issues. People may be threatening with the courts to take children away. I'm not minimizing that, but what I've also seen is that people who tend to stay, from my experience, it has been trauma that they dealt with, whether being um, in foster care and uh, losing one or both of their parents at an early age or having a um, verbally or uh, yeah, yeah, ver- a verbally or physically abusive parents, you know, or just, you know, some type of harsh treatment mm-hmm. while growing up, it, it's always something. And I tell you, and the, the ones that are tell me, oh, I had one tell me before, no, my parents, it was good, it was this, and turned out that the, um, Mother was severely depressed, even suicidal, and even in the um, presence of my client when my client was a child. Mm-hmm. The father also attacked the mother in front of her brutally once, and she had forgotten. You know, I won't say she had forgotten it, but she hadn't talked about it in years. And, and when she was like, well, why am I a victim of domestic violence? And then we found that, and I'm like, you know, it wasn't a shocker to me. Right. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're also um, listening to the, you know, the stories of people and things of that nature, do you find that there is a language? I noticed that um, in the, in the book, uh, when you're traumatized, it's like Shana, although she hated it when her father and her aunt Pat um, took up for her mother, she did the same thing with those who bullied her, like Carrie and, and Mike in the book. Um, and because he was very condescend- condescending and he was also a narcissist. But um, how do you get someone to recognize that language and acknowledge it and change it? Because she didn't, she took up for Carrie so much in the, in the book until finally it finally hit her after a, a major experience that she's learned of you know of what happened but how do you get someone to recognize their own traumatic language to come out and to um like i said to recognize their own language acknowledge it and change it how, how, how do you get someone to do that you know i think that something that should be done in uh therapy is pointing out a person's inconsistencies you know mm-hmm and, and you, of course, you wouldn't do that until the person feels safe with you. You know, I wouldn't in the first meeting be like, wow, you know, I noticed you, you say well, your, your uh, aunt and father defend your mother, but you do the same with your friend when you say X, Y, and Z, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit, but I, I would point that out and say, you know, has anyone ever said that to you or how does it? How is it for you to hear me say that, you know, and see where they go, go, go with it. And if they're like, well, no, nah, I don't see that. I'm nothing like them. Then I'd leave it alone for that at that point, because then we'll just be going back and forth. Me trying to convince. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. You know, so. <laughs> I understand. I get it because you can't you can't convince anybody until they're ready until they're ready to hear it. So I, I understand it perfectly. Yes, ma'am. Um also about the abusiveness of her aunt it was interesting that her aunt was she was encouraging when she first got there when she first came in on the scene and then all of a sudden as as she Shana began to get older and of course she you know began to get you know the weight came more and more on um then her aunt began to use abusive language and it was like you know calling her a cow or, or saying moo moo and things of that nature and 
it's amazing to me how people think that shame can be used to help somebody go the opposite way. Some it may help. I'm not saying it doesn't. Okay, fine. But for, but I think for the majority of people, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you know, you push them more into doing what, what you know what they you know what what what's not what's not helping them. And in, in, in Shana's case, it was eating more. So. Um, how do you help a child or an adult re- regain their esteem after they've been shamed by close people who came in to help, but by the same time, they hurt them? I, I think you help someone uh, regain their esteem by focus, helping them focus on things that they, they feel passionate about or things that they're really good at, you know, because, uh Let's say if they don't believe that they're beautiful, to me, it's no sense of being like, but you are beautiful. I mean, they're not going to believe that, you know, or if they believe they're stupid, you're like, but you're so smart. You know, if that worked, people wouldn't come to therapy. It sounds good, but it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, So help. So if you know they they like to draw, encouraging them to draw, you know, even buying some art supplies, you know, encouraging them to. if you can find free, what is it, art galleries and have them put it there so they can get in the habit of having people look at their work and give them praise who they don't know. Cause it's easy if you're their aunt or someone they know, and you're like, Oh, it's awesome. They, they may think, and this is what I find with people with self-esteem. They'll, you know, typically say something like, well, you're only saying that because you have to, you're my aunt and you love me, but encouraging them to maybe try to sell it on Etsy or um, yeah eBay or, or whatever like that, mm-hmm. just encouraging them to have those goals that they set for themselves. And once they uh, accomplish those goals, those type of things, it, it encourages us. Let's say if a child has a goal of losing 10 pounds and then if you're trying to give positive, um, give, yeah, giving them some positivity with that, you know, rejoicing with them and, you know, letting them know it's okay to be happy about their accomplishment and then encourage them to set the next goal, you know, and not only with weight, that can be used for anything. So the more, even as adults, uh, once we accomplish the goals we set, whether it's getting a degree or whether it's uh, joining a new class or going, you know, whatever it is we want to do, we see that, wow, we knocked that out. Then I can do other things that, that builds the self-esteem a lot. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So, um, as say, do you, do you find it, um, more challenging for adults to be more receptive of their, of their, um, of their, what's the word I'm trying to use to be more receptive of their victories, the things that they want to do. Do you sign, do you find that they, they're more receptive and and believing that they're, you know, that, that is something that they're good at, or do you find that better? uh, It works for a teenager. You know what? I I think it works. I think it works equally for both Mm -hmm. because, I see a lot of people who um, self-esteem is very low, you know, mm-hmm. and for whatever reasons. And, and that's the same with, with the, the adults and the kids. And I just find that pointing out when they're doing something that's good or, you know, being like, wow, you said you've never accomplished anything. But then you just told me about A, B and C, you know, are those not accomplishments, you know, pointed it out and just being there like a cheerleader with them, I think helps because I think they equally need that, uh, that boost. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Um, also in the book, it was, I was the chapter where um, Shana was graduating and she didn't tell them her parents at all. Um, and I was like, wow, it was like the, that because the, she had carried the hurt and the pain and the abandonment for so long, but cause they expected her to get over it. Right. And, you know, and I was sitting there and I was like, hey, how can you expect her to get over it? You haven't even let, allowed her to voice it yet, you know? So, but, um, you gave some really good tips already of how you would first help a teenager or young adult. adult. How, well, what, well, let me know. Well, maybe not. Let me, you gave it for self-esteem, but let me kind of put this on the other. How do you get them to see themselves? Like 
when you're when you're telling a, t- a child that oh you're doing well or telling an adult you know those are really good but for some reason there's like this block how do you remove the block that they it seems like they just can't get past seeing themselves in that light they always see themselves as you know what they've always been how do you get them to see themselves in a in a, in a more positive light I, th- I think that that's the part of um, ha- having them find what, th- what they enjoy in life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, whatever talents that they have, because I think that's how that block gets. Um, I don't know if it's ever totally removed, but I think they can I think they can develop more strength the more they realize that they're able to set goals and to accomplish them. I think it works for that for that as well. Okay. Okay. Cause you know, what I, what I find sometimes is that, um, is, is that this is that sense of self-worth, mm-hmm. you know, having to really look at themselves as worthy, uh, to be visible. Um, I was reading somewhere and I can't think of it, think of it, but it was like where she kept saying, I'm invisible, I'm invisible because in her mind, she really was invisible. Uh, and she wanted to be invisible because of all the pain that she had gone through. And so it's it's like trying to tell somebody, no, we see you. We really do see you. You're worthy to be seen. And I, and I find that people that, you know, uh, including myself, I'm not, not negating it at all because I had to go through some things myself with, um, you know, with with mental abuse and things of ver- being verbally abused. It was one of those things where I had to put up mantras around my house you know put up different you know signs on my mirror saying you know hey you're okay you know don't you're not going to be overlooked you know you know it's, it's it's one of those kind of things and so I, I was just wondering you know for for a teenager versus an adult which one is the easy but you said you said both both deserve or both can can receive the same um so that's good to know that is really good to know um let me see here um you began the book after you said she binges and then you in in one book entering the OA group meeting. Um, it was interesting to me because it was like, okay, she wants to, she's binging. Now she's getting ready to go to the OA meeting. And at the end of the meeting, she decides to tell her story because she's never, she's gone before, but she never, she's never, I think this part where she said she's never told her story. And so her, her, uh, her sponsor was like sitting there on bated breath thinking, is she going to tell her story? So why did you have it at that moment ending one book, but beginning in another book to the, now she can begin to tell her story. What was that moment that changed her? Uh, the the moment that changed her is because uh, at at the end of book one, she I believe she started to realize that this is a cycle. You know, she always tells herself, "I'm not going to binge again," and she always does it. So she started putting it together. Wow, this just keeps happening. You know, I'm doing the same thing over and over, and I keep getting the same results. And so at that point, it opens with book two. It's like, okay. Uh, for, for months, she had been coming to this group. She had never shared because she had spent her time just laughing at the other women that was as fat as her, you know, as she mm-hmm. said, you know, and, and that was another way of denying that she had a problem because she could laugh at other people. Oh, you know, your, your problems are worse than mine after hearing their story. Or, and even it's just like when she, um, at the beginning of the book said, well, at least I don't purge, you know, she's constantly comparing herself to other people to deflect, you know, well, I'm not bad like them. I, I don't have a problem. So she's actually facing the, 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 the issue is like, you know, she's going, been going all this time, might as well, you know, make the best of the situation. Mm-hmm. So that's where it came. And if you notice, she had a lot of anxiety doing it, but she jumped up and just said, you know, I'm going to just, I'm just going to put it out there. Yep. Yep. And she did. She really did. So um, I really, I really, to be honest with you, I really enjoyed the books. I really did. It was, I, I was saying, you know, I, well, let me ask you this. Are you going to write more? <laughs> Uh, yes, um, but not with Shana. I want to try with something, um, a, a different story. I have some ideas. I just need to sit down and start writing. I, I, I already have, um, what is it, some outlines 
that I'm thinking of, and I want to keep the piece of uh, mental dealing with mental illness and how it affects uh, affects people's lives. So, yeah, that's my goal. Okay, okay, excellent. I have one last question, and and I and yet I think the questions I've already asked, you kind of answered it, but I was just going to see if we could maybe expound on it a little bit more. But why is it so hard for parents to tell their story so their children can be released from caring and unnecessary pain? Um, because if supportive family's not there, what can you tell our listeners that may be struggling with eating disorders or any type of trauma that their past, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that, that their eating disorders or trauma from their past to assist them in walking away from their trauma? Uh, so the, the first part of it is why it's so hard for, for the parents Can't, to, correct. Uh, yeah, to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's hard for them to tell their stories because it, I think it's hard for anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. just to their, their stories because if you don't have the coping skills like you don't know how let's say if you open up this box of all your your hardships and you don't know what to do with that you know you you probably there's probably a stigma in some communities about mental health thinking that oh mental health is just for the crazy people so if a person has that stigma chances are they're not going to seek mental health so who who, who are they going to talk to about it you know it's only so much you can talk to a friend about and then you know do they even trust the friend to go into oh well all this has happened to me you know and so if they don't have that support system or some outlet, some passion that they have work or some some art creativity that they have. I mean, then there's negative things that they can go to. So drinking, drugs, and then who wants to do that? You know, so I, I think it's just that they themselves don't know what to do with that. I think it's easier said than done, you know. Just, you know, let your kids know all you've been through. You know, who wants to sit down with the kids like, oh, yeah, I was raped in this year and my daddy beat me over the head with a switch that year. And, you know, and <laughs> it's, that's a lot. Okay. You, you know, and especially I think if I'm looking at most of the people I see, I'm working with a lot of Lat um Latinos, mm -hmm. African Americans, and um, fewer whites, and I just see that um, a lot of these people are single parents, and they feel that they have to be strong in front of their children, and it's like I don't know how strong they think. You know, if if they think that they can still be strong and share those most darkest parts of their lives, if that answers your question. Okay. Okay. And so what do you, how do you help someone who um, if the support of their family is not there and what can you tell them uh, our listeners that by struggling with any eating disorders or trauma from their past to assist them in walking away from their trauma? You know what, with the eating disorder, first thing that I would say is also is to go to the doctor, your, 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 your medical doctor. Mm hmm to see if if um, the eating disorder is due to any any type of medical diagnosis, you know. Okay. That that's that's one of the first things. Also, um, if it's also due, if it is due to, to trauma, is to see a therapist to work through that. And I would also caution just being patient with yourself because you probably didn't get the eating disorder overnight, and it may take some time to deal with what's actually causing it. You know, mm -hmm. it could. To, um, low self-esteem it could be due to depression it can be due to anxiety and the goal would be to um to improve a person's mood and possibly that could um stop the person from overeating uh in my case as i mentioned for me it was constantly denying myself not having any balance when it came to uh giving myself sweets so i had to stop um being so strict you know, and I had to stop the dieting because I was a constant yo-yo dieting. For me, that stopped the binging. So I don't know how much of my own was due to trauma. The overeating, I would say, started because as a response to trauma. But did the binging, I don't know, you know, so much. So it can be kind of complicated as to what's at the root of that binge eating disorder. Okay, because because well, I would think just like you said, everybody's situation or you know is different. So, right. Okay. Okay. Understandable. Understandable. 
Well, Miss Samara, Dr. Samara, I really appreciate you having been on the show. I appreciate all that you have poured out to us. Uh, can you give our listeners, you know, your books again and also how they can uh, reach out to you if they want to yes. just email you? So thank you so much, Lana, for having me on. I really appreciate all the questions. Very thoughtful. And I appreciate that you read both the books. And, you know, and that's really obvious based on the questions that you ask. So that's always a great thing. Uh, the books, I should have worn a curtain, a novella. There's book one and two. Both are available on Amazon, uh, in Kindle Unlimited. And you can also buy the paperback if you're interested. If you'd like a signed copy, you can reach out to me at uh, tailsamira123 at gmail.com. So that's tail, T-E-L-L-S-A-M-Y-R-A-1-2-3 at gmail.com. And I can let you know how to get signed copies. Also, you can reach out to me at that same email address if you'd like one-on-one -on -one, uh, individual counseling by phone or either by um on you know online uh, with video, I do do that dealing with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, or anything that's uh, mental health related. Wow, you have given us everything and then some, and I really do appreciate you. Also, being from my hometown, Gary, Indiana, it's so wonderful yeah. to see someone doing extremely well and. Um, even though you went to Horace Mann and I went to Roosevelt, but that's okay. We're going to leave that alone. So. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, you know, having attended the best high school in the city at Horace Mann, but it's all right. It's still love. We still from the same city. <laughs> that's true. That, you know, I understand that, but you know, when you have legacy, you know, being the first black high school it was and Gary, you know, but Hey, we just, we're going to leave that alone. <laughs> so. <laughs> But no, but at the you know, Horace Mann was really it was it was a wonderful. My baby brother went to he graduated from Horace Mann, so I, I have I have nothing but love for Horace Mann as well. Right, so, a lot of my family um graduated from Roosevelt. Okay, okay. So you know what? It's 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 just great though. It is it, when I saw that you were from Gary, that that really put a special spark in my heart, and I and I really mean that. I I'm, it's great to see people, uh, you know, from hometown who are doing extremely well, and that you know, you're thriving and living your best lives and, and things of that nature. So continue to do, you know, that and more. And also when you come back, you know, when you finish your other books, be, I'd be more than happy to interview you again. So please keep me in mind. Um, you gave some great information uh, to the to the family here, to the audience. And so I am just grateful, extremely grateful because this podcast is centered around as I stated before, helping people's fragmented souls come back together and to really understand that, you know, when you've been traumatized, you're not alone. You really are not alone. And I want people to understand that there are people out here, myself included, that have walked through many, many, you know, a, trauma, a, a traumatized experience and still coming out and still going and, and seeking, you know, help and things of that nature. I'm a reader. You know, so I read everything I can get my hands on. I've been doing it for over 25 years. And so it's just one of those things to where you just want to make sure, like you said, keep yourself in check. Uh, don't lie to yourself. When you said that, I, that, that hit me right in my home because it's like we tell ourselves these stories. And, and you know, but you have, to, you have to know your boundaries. You have to know who you are and to accept that and be okay with that. So again, Dr. Samara, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And truly all the best to you and everything that you put and lay your hands to. Okay. Thank you. And I wish the same for you, Lana. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Have a great evening, everyone.